0: I'm Dave Monaco, the Alan Meyer Family Head of School at Parish Episcopal School. Welcome to the From My Angle podcast. In our recent episodes on belonging, we have explored how values serve to illuminate what a community stands for and, in the process, beckon individuals to it seeking to belong. In the case of Parish, Board Chair Andrea Mayfield and Episcopal Church of the Transfiguration Rector Casey Shobe have helped us reflect on the values that define Parish as a place. But in all communities, there are gatekeepers, insiders, if you will, who determine which individuals are to be extended the opportunity to belong to a group. So in this episode, I thought we would introduce you to two of Parrish's gatekeepers, Caroline Doswell, the Director of Enrollment Management, and Julie Baldwin, our first Director of Financial Aid. As key leaders within our enrollment management team, Caroline and Julie help us understand the challenging and sophisticated processes which lie behind the formulation of the parish community. How do we determine whether a candidate for application and his or her family are a good fit for our school? How do we evaluate the needs of individual grade levels so as to construct a class of diversely representative students? As important, how do we help make full belonging to our community something available to those who might not otherwise be able to afford it. Enrollment management in independent schools is a sophisticated business, and in this extended conversation, Caroline, Julie, and I dig deeply into the art and science behind the admissions and financial aid processes at Parrish. Caroline began in July as our Director of Enrollment Management, having served previously as our Associate Director of Admissions. She's an independent school graduate, Worked at in independent schools previous to her time at Parish, she knows our industry well. Julie's history at Parish covers nearly two decades as a parent of two Parish graduates, sons Ryan and Harrison, and a present Parish sophomore, Connor. She and her husband Forrest, yes, the voice of the Parish Panthers, have been longstanding volunteers in our community. Julie's skills as an accountant, writer, and Parish advocate have served the school well in both the past and the present. I know you will find this to be an informative episode of the From My Angle podcast. Enjoy this conversation with Caroline and Julie. All right, welcome back to the From My Angle podcast. I am thrilled today to have two colleagues with me to continue exploring the belonging theme. Caroline Doswell, hey. Director of Enrollment Management. How are you?
1: Good, how are you? Nice, Thank, thanks for having me. Thanks
0: for being here. And Julie Baldwin. Director of Financial Aid. Greetings. Thank you for coming and hanging out with us. We have uh, had some really interesting conversations on values over the last several podcast episodes. And this one to me is effectively about what we are and who we value. Our mission statement calls us an inclusive Episcopal community. So we really want to explore how we make uh, this luxury product at $30,000 of tuition, how we try as best we can as an institution to make it inclusive from a financial standpoint. So uh, that's why these two fine ladies are here. They determine, A, who gets in, who crosses the boundary or the threshold and gets to belong here, and then how we aspire uh, as best we can once they get here to make them feel like they're truly included, not just uh, like they belong uh, and have been offered a place at the table. But before we do that you all have interesting stories that have brought you here professionally and personally. So Caroline, first year as Director of Enrollment Management, tell us your story about how you made it to this point in time uh, professionally.
1: Absolutely, so I am a child of independent schools um, from pre-K all the way through grade 12 and very much believe in it. Um, I would not have done well in a larger school setting, so I um, valued and appreciated and needed a community where not only did I know my classmates, but also my teachers, advisors, Etc. so that I was able to um, get the attention and the help and support that I needed, whether it was in the classroom or on the lacrosse field, whatever it might be. Um, And so as I um, graduated from Denison University in Granville, Ohio, I um, thought I wanted to do corporate, and it certainly was not a a match. And what was always in the back of my mind was the return to education. And so I moved out to Dallas, Texas, and started working at another school in Dallas. I was in admission for three years there as just an admission associate and um, then heard um, about a position at Parish Episcopal and um, so much of it matched not only my uh, personal goals but um, essentially who I was as an Episcopalian, as an independent school graduate um, and uh, that um, visionary spirit of the school um, really was attractive to me and so made my switch over here. Um, was the pre-k through second grade associate director of admission for five years before moving over to this new role. And I'm um, really excited to be a part of it and to um, be a part of students starting their, um, you know, being a part of the parish community, starting off here and, and seeing where it goes after being a student here at parish.
0: Yeah, it's an you're escorting people through a, a, a anxiety-filled mm-hmm. and, and tense process, mm-hmm. especially younger first-time parents mm-hmm. as they discern where to come in so i've had several uh, enrollment management um, folks from higher ed on and you know nobody really goes to school to become a director of enrollment management right they were just our programs sure. just our schools for that so when did you realize as you looked at independent schools as an option for you based on your past experience as an independent school student like when did you start to gravitate to the notion of working not in the classroom per se but in this role as uh, an advancement officer, specifically in the area of of admissions.
1: Sure, absolutely. Um, I think in particular it was about, um, you know, loving a loving a school and, and communicating that to the outward community, um, rather than um, you know, being in a classroom with um, you know, fourteen to sixteen students every day. And I certainly just did not have the talent or the passion for that. So, um, as I mentioned, the interest in um, loving a place, knowing a place, and getting a, a feel of a place. And as I said, Communicating that to uh, the community outside of um, outside of the school, and then working with families who are interested and excited about your school, um, and and leading them through the process. Because as you said, it is a very um, can be a very anxious process. So um, to be an assistance in that uh, in that process, helping parents and families and students make those big decisions and um, helping them move through the steps. And then you know the joyful day of giving admission decisions for um, you know those accepted and and helping those who are not and and what other options they might have. Um, and then, you know, getting them to be a part of the parish community and um, get, finding that sense of belonging, finding their niche and, and really engrossing them here in the community. So, Do you have a
0: mentor or is it just like a job posting?
1: Well, um, I have an interesting story where um, I had students come back from a class and I wasn't quite as excited to see them as perhaps some other teachers were. Um, I, of course, loved and adored <laughs> them, but I also enjoy um, mostly the, the ability to um, be in the office and help. With school as a whole Mm -hmm. while also getting a chance to visit students in the classroom so there's that nice balance of um, independence and strategy and um, planning ahead for the future that um, perhaps teachers um, don't always get the opportunity to be a part of so I I get that nice balance of um, you know administrative work Mm -hmm. and then I can pop into a classroom say hello and and keep an eye on students as they move through each grade level yeah so so
0: typically someone who finds their way into admissions has usually had a mentor or known of someone or gone back to a gone back worked in their college admissions mm-hmm. office or mm-hmm. sometimes gone back to their independent school as well or in some cases worked in a classroom and just said mm, this side of the business exactly. is not is not so much for me. Yep. it's interesting for those that are um, younger listeners, especially for their alums who are listening. Like I think there's a misnomer if you work in a school, it's all about reading, writing, and arithmetic, mm-hmm. and you allude to this notion of really an entire corporate background backbone mm-hmm. behind the school that teachers. Um, quite thankfully, and uh, don't have want to have anything to do with it. They right. just want to work right. with their their kids. Right. But uh, for those folks that really get into an operation the size in this podcast we'll explore it in some depth, um, the mechanics of a thirty million dollar budget, mm-hmm. uh, the intricacies of enrollment management over admissions, like, how you have to really work uh, with data and how you have to make decisions that are not just uh, based on top test scores, but the Absolutely. sophistication of building classes, uh, operating uh, significant budgets as Julie does uh, around financial aid or in our operations side. There's a lot to the business of schools Absolutely. that can be really intriguing to individuals who may have thought of schools as only a place, well, I don't really wanna teach a class, right. or that's not my thing. And you can find a career, you can build a, a um you know, quite an interesting, fulfilling career outside of the outside Absolutely. of the classroom. Absolutely. So Julie has both a professional story, but also a personal story, and so I'll leave it to you to decide where you'd like to start, because <laughs> your parish journey is a rich and uh, and deep one. So uh, tell us how you got to your present professional role um, by whichever way you want to start professionally or or personally telling your narrative.
2: Well, I'll start personally uh-huh. because that kind of leads in, <laughs> and so unlike Caroline, my husband Force and I are children of public schools. And honestly, never really Mm. thought we would have our children go down the private school path. Um, They were both in a a local Montessori school, and we, uh, my two oldest, were, and we didn't really want them to go to the extremely large public school where we lived, because that was not the kind of experience we had in public school. Mm -hmm. So we started looking around and found Parish, and so um, we came in two thousand and three with a fifth grader, a first grader, and a baby on the way. And 17 years later, (laughs) we've had um, our oldest son graduate in 2011, our next son graduate in 2015, and our youngest is a current sophomore. So um, it's been fascinating to be here for 17 years. I think we came the second, maybe the third year that we were in the Midway building. Mm -hmm and to see the growth, you know, back when you could only go so far down the Great Hall.
0: (laughs) Beyond that was the
2: great mysterious area. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, Just to see the the change and the growth and the transition has really been pretty amazing. And um, I'll share a personal story. The first several years when the the re-enrollment contract would come and Forrest would look at it and he would say, are you really sure that this is worth this much more it's that much better than a public school education, I would say, yes, I know it is. And I thought it was, but those first couple years, you're a little hesitant. And about the third or fourth year when that re-enrollment contract would come, we never questioned it. He Mm -hmm. never questioned it, I Mm -hmm. never questioned it again. Um, And here we are 17 years later. Um, So, Several years ago, I was looking for a career change, I was kind of burned out, and I had done a lot of um, volunteer work actually over the years mm-hmm. as a parent with the Advancement mm-hmm. Office. Mm-hmm. And so just kind of let them know I was looking looking for something and um, I think the moon and the sun and the stars <laughs> yeah. all kind of lined up because- We were looking
0: for something too. Y'all were too, <laughs> uh,
2: and that is was somebody to be dedicated to the role of financial aid, which the school had not had before mm-hmm. because we were growing. Yep. Uh, and so I had a background in finance and when the opportunity came up, honestly, it was, I mean, a match made in heaven because for many, many, many of our initial years here at parish, uh, we were a family that Mm -hmm. received financial assistance Mm -hmm. and honestly, as a middle-class family, Mm -hmm. I don't know that we would have ever been able to have the opportunities and our kids to have the opportunities here if it weren't for tuition assistance. Mm -hmm. So the opportunity to pay that forward and help other families have that same experience that our families been able to have was really just a huge blessing.
0: Yeah, it's a powerful combination. You're a Renaissance woman, really, because you're, <laughs> you're, a, you're a writer and ver- yes. very much uh, have that side a of brain, the brain, brain to activate, yeah. but you're also an accountant and uh, very facile with the numbers and then have this huge heart for parish. and uh, that yes. combination of all of those things is very important in the work that we're gonna, we're gonna talk about today. This whole idea um, of community and belonging is really interesting. I had Charles Vogel on uh, well, uh, the first podcast of, of this particular season. And, you know, Charles' book, The Art of Community, talks a lot about. Um, Boundaries and you know who gets who, who opens the gates or doors of a boundary to a community, right? What is it that draws an individual to a community? We've explored that a lot in recent conversations with uh, Andrew Mayfield and uh, and Casey Shobe. So the values of a place and what it stands for are like the beacon of the lighthouse. They draw people to a place and then they can stand at the at the gate or the door of that place and knock but not necessarily gain entry right there's the gatekeeper that opens and welcomes them in and and so effectively this conversation with you two is really about that right and caroline and, and her team are the ones that to a great degree determine uh who gets to come in and partake and then you know caroline and julie you all work with with us in senior administration uh to really determine if we can make Participating here possible, so I, I use that as a pre stage. Currently, do a kind of very general question for um, our listeners about really how the process works mm-hmm. at thirty thousand feet. It's it's complicated and nuanced, but generally, what is the process by which a a family uh, submits an application for a child, and then that child is evaluated, especially by the gatekeepers here sure. in inside, how that sausage is made, because sure. everybody applied to the school, who's listening, who's a parent, but they may not know that process that lies behind it. So sure. take us through kind of a high level tour of, of the admissions process. Sure,
1: absolutely. I mean, right now we're really in this, um event time or this recruiting process it's all about um, getting families onto campus whether it's on our Hillcrest campus for our, our youngest students three year old, three years old um, through about seven or eight um, to this campus obviously the Midway campus so it's all about getting onto campus getting that gut check getting that uh, sense of a school by as I said visiting the building seeing the campus etc. Um, after that the application itself which uh, modern times everything has moved online um, I remember the days of paper applications mm-hmm. and then having to enter them. In, uh, into the computer so thankfully everything is moved online um, and so those are due in January and then by that time we start to collect uh, data points like um, you know teacher evaluation forms from current teachers progress reports um, you know and then we also invite all of our applicants to come on campus in one way or another um, it works a little bit different for each grade level obviously we don't have our three-year-olds visit for the entire school day they come on a Saturday um, versus our middle school and upper school students who do come for um, for most of the day so that's not only a chance for us to see applicants in a, in a classroom environment, in, interacting with their peers, interacting with teachers, but it's also a chance for students, for applicants to, to see the school because perhaps their parents came to a weekday coffee and, you know, they were in their current school and couldn't visit. So um, it's really a um, mutually beneficial um, part of the process, I believe. But after we get everything and applications are complete, um, you know, I think sometimes uh, the illusion is that I'm the only person who reads mm-hmm. files right. and that I make the files final decision but um, what's really important um, for this process and to me as as director is that multiple people from multiple areas of the school are on the admission committee so we have multiple file readers for each application Mm -hmm. Um, and so what what that allows for is for multiple viewpoints to to look at a kiddo to look at that snapshot snapshot of an applicant um, you know to to see that and each each uh, committee member reads a file differently and will pick up different things through their own lens whatever area they're coming from so we have teachers we have administrators Um, of course the admission team sits on the committee as well Um, and as I said that's a valuable part of the admission process
0: yeah I mean give or take uh, 10 or 15 applications we're pretty consistent at about 600 applications Mm -hmm. per year you Mm -hmm. can watch the trend lines over the decade I've been there they don't really move Mm -hmm. all all that much Mm -hmm. um, from there nevertheless that's you say good that's all digitized now that's a lot of applications Mm -hmm. and, and your process really moves from uh, September to you know roughly January, it's kind of showroom, mm-hmm. and then after January, it really moves to deliberation room. Absolutely. I mean, your process becomes much more behind the scenes with this uh, admissions committee. Absolutely. So um, it as you as you move people through that that fall period of time, you know you're really kind of exposing them to the, the mm-hmm. values and the culture and the programs that we spoke about. Once you get into the deliberation room with these admissions committees, uh they tend to meet uh anywhere from you know a half a day to a little bit longer depending mm-hmm. on what their their volume is and The question you and I get frequently is you know what are you looking for mm-hmm. in an applicant mm-hmm. so you know take take us through um sort of the set of of criteria that sure. um you find in your experience with the admissions committee. Um, those characteristics and traits that really begin to percolate to the top when you think about someone who is a match or fit to belong in this community.
1: Absolutely. Um, so, again, it goes back to age is obviously going to be a big difference in, in what we're looking at for our youngest students or youngest applicants, I should say. Um, it's a balance of not only academic readiness and what they've been exposed to, perhaps in a classroom, a Mother's Day Out program, or perhaps through other activities, um, but as well as social-emotional readiness, and that really is for our youngest students as far as their, their readiness to be in a classroom um, working with other students working with teachers as we get older um, yes test scores come into play but I think it's very important to um, explain that we never draw a line in the sand when it comes to test scores I think sometimes um, parents in, in the mix of anxiety or anxious feelings they think it has to be a certain stay mm-hmm. nine on the able or IC test um, which is not the case because uh, I think that would be irresponsible on our part to make such a, a big decision on just a, a couple of stay nine scores mm-hmm. so Um, you know but we obviously have to pay attention to it and Mm -hmm. we we do require it because it does give us information but we'd love to balance or or need to balance really those test scores with information from teachers um, from their visit from interviews etc to to get again a more holistic um, idea of um, who a student is and so with that it's um, again it's that continued mix of academic readiness as we do um, you know accept capable to exceptional students so there's that academic readiness as well as academic Academic a- uh, excellence and our applicants um, as well as that um, continued social emotional mm-hmm. um, you know uh, readiness for any grade really and um, you know vibrant um, diverse and diverse in all senses of the word students who um, you know contribute to this robust community um, so you know kids that are um, you know, involved. You know, not just academically, yep. not just athletic, athletically, not just art artistically, but um, you know, students who excel in all sorts of areas, et cetera.
0: So yeah, and I, I, yeah, none of us sit on admissions committees mm-hmm. at other schools. You you have worked at Green Hill, so you have mm-hmm. probably more of an insider view of how mm-hmm. at least one school works than ours. But you reference this idea of capable to exceptional, mm-hmm. and I think if there is something that distinguishes Parrish's student body in general, this is, mm-hmm. again, uh, not with inside knowledge of those places, but in general, it's this idea of capable to exceptional. Mm-hmm. So, you know, for, for us, um, we, we do have a, wi- a wider representation of, of student uh, quite intentionally and mm-hmm. qu- uh, quite willingly in terms of who we let through the, the door mm-hmm. to, to this place. And when people ask me, especially, about um, either the, uh, pers- the, the perception of authenticity in our student community, the sense of uh, balance or joyfulness in our community, uh, the sense that our our parents in general seem to be a a little less uptight than other independent schools, not just in town, but just in general. Um, And that'd be my perception having spent uh, time a long time at another independent school out of the market, that to me part of that secret sauce is this uh of of student right and so uh th- this notion that the child does not have to be the top test taker and a straight-a kid um for for us to welcome them into into this place and i'm sure that comes up in your conversations in those admissions committees right where there may be some tension over academic uh quote-unquote readiness of a fifth grade incoming sure. student a ninth grade incoming student two of our bigger influx grades sure but you see other things That resonate with you
1: absolutely and I you know and I think bottom line it's um, you know not only the admission office but also the committee team members to you know obviously not accept a student who would would fail and would not do well here and we're obviously looking for students who would um, you know would would thrive here and and do well academically but in in thinking about students and not only their potential so where they are in fifth grade might be very different Mm -hmm. from where they are in ninth grade Um, and then also you know perhaps in the class. Classroom is not where their passion is but perhaps their, their passion is on the stage yep. or um, on the field or um, their or as a leader etc so um, you know the a realistic applicant pool and a realistic idea of who our students are um, you know we we continue to meet that and i agree with you as far as that top tier um student, I suppose, if you have only just that top, you create the sense of competition, mm-hmm. um, this this strain, mm-hmm. this stress, this um, eagerness to always be on top um, academically, whereas I think there are so many more opportunities to um, realistically grow a student, um, not only from pre-K through grade 12, but beyond graduating from parish.
0: Yeah, it's a real, intang- it's a real intangible ingredient mm-hmm. that you don't measure out. Right. But then when you when you put it into the to, to the to the recipe, uh, the the notion of um, uh, uniformly high achieving students mm-hmm. uh, whose primary focus is is in that arena um, definitely flavors you know definitely flavors your culture and right. so again we're 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 cautious and conscious sure. conscious of uh, maintaining uh, breath, even as our profiles a school has has. Uh, as we've aged, has become more uh, more rep more reputable, mm-hmm. more enhanced. We have, you know, twelve alumni classes out there who are all thriving. The two Baldwin boys is uh, as a, <laughs> as evidence of that, right? So that people can now say, boy, it really is a good product. Right. Um, we're not we're not really changing the the, the criteria the way that we look right. at, at students.
1: And I think also. Um, the The joy that's uh, is grown in that sense in that in mm-hmm. that uh, community of of students and parents, as you were describing, yep. the joy that's that's felt on a regular basis by our students <coughs> um, again, gives them a place where they can thrive, perhaps in ways that they didn't know that their parents didn't know that their previous school didn't know. Yep. Um, so it, it's really exciting to see that and to see the potential in the students and and watching them thrive in an environment like parish. As a, as opposed to perhaps
0: another environment. Yeah, Julie, you and I both had three kids here, yes. and uh, I know mine are different. Yours may be exactly the same, but mine are, no, <laughs> mine, are mine are, pretty different kids. So, really, did this, can can you speak to that as a, as a parent as well of how you've seen, uh, how you've seen Ryan Harrison and Connor as you know wired differently, um, kind of find either find their place or. Um, sense this notion of the of the beauty of the breath of of our kids in terms of, of who they are in, in our student population
2: sure I mean I, I totally uh, understand and agree and understand when parents say you know different schools mm-hmm. have different needs for their kids um, we always felt like parish, like you've talked about from the capable to the exceptional um, and all the different ways that students can explore their passions and find things that for our kids, mm-hmm. it was a great fit for each of the three of them. Yep. Um, we asked them, you know, when they got to kind of eighth grade, if they mm-hmm. wanted to look at any other schools, and the answer was always no. Yep. Um, and like I said, after those first three or four years, there was never any question of our mind of um, that this was the place for our family. Mm-hmm. I remember a couple of years ago uh, when we talked about we were working on strategic plan or mm-hmm. one of the self studies, yep, yep. and somebody said, "You know, your your child attends another school, and your family joins parish or comes to parish." Yep. And we always felt like that it was a place for our family, and we've been very involved as a family. Um, my older two boys, without question, felt like they were exceptionally well prepared mm-hmm. for college mm-hmm. and life. Um, And I think with the way the program has grown, there's no question that Connor will be even more prepared than the other two were and they were incredibly well prepared.
0: Yeah, and so like, People uh, they do this on the college game too, right? They want to oversimplify, and so they want to simplify to like tiers of schools. Where's Parish fit? When I got here ten years ago, you know, it was kind of Parish, or reaching and aspiring to try to be in the top tier of schools like the other independent schools in town. And you know, anybody that knows me well knows we just really haven't haven't played that game, right? So if you measure us purely on metric, you know, we we accept on on, on a year a year basis sixty five to sixty seven percent of our applicants, right? We we are not. Um, we are not super elite in terms of the competitiveness to get into Parish. All right, for example, we yield between 50 and 52 percent of our app uh, of our uh, offers of admission. That means roughly just a little more of half the people who choose to come here, who are offered a spot to come here, choose to choose to come. These these are not comparable metrics. Uh, with the other schools, uh, uh, either in town or nationally that are of um, high academic, quote unquote, uh, reputation uh, and, and sort of legacy brands in their market. Uh, but again, those aren't metrics that we've set as strategic priorities to, ch- to change, right? <laughs> so I'm like being very cautious and just uh, as I, as I uh, speak to you listeners about the same thing that I've been talking to Perspectives about over the last two and three weeks, which is like, you need to pick culture, you need to choose fit and Parish feels, especially now, 10 years later, like who we are is very clear. We're unabashed about it. We embrace who we are, and increasingly, what we're finding, our families are choosing us on on merit, right? And so, of those fifty-two percent of the folks that are yielding here, um, they're not yielding here sort of like an "oh shucks," you know, "I'm going to parish." Instead of they're like, "Yes, I'm going to parish," and that's the school that I want to go to and our uh, retention rate, mm-hmm. there's how many students we keep year over year has steadily increased from roughly 90% when I've got here to a pretty consistent 95 to 96% per year. So that again is a signal that we are bringing people here who are choosing us on merit and choosing us on what they identify in this uh, showroom Portion of the admissions season uh, in the fall, and then we're living into those in, living into those values. So I think Absolutely. that's a that's important. Absolutely. But the um, it, but the, but the whole concept of getting through the gate and how we make these decisions is more sophisticated than simply yes or no. Mm-hmm. And so Caroline's title is Director of Enrollment Management. Uh, changed just this year, but the job has not changed. We just have titled it correctly. Mm-hmm. And I and I do want to dig into this a little bit, Caroline, with our with our listeners to understand. Really, how much in today's world, independent schools like Parish have become mini colleges in mm-hmm. terms of how we build classes. Mm-hmm. So again, you have admissible kids across. Let's just take a grade, a big admissions grade, like fifth grade or ninth grade. You have uh, ten admissible applicants, right? Uh, there may be an op- there may be a, a a a point where the the number two kid in admissibility based on pure academics and profile, mm-hmm. right, may not be the a top choice to offer uh, a, a spot because of other elements of his or her profile, right? And let's talk through what some of those can be from gender to affiliation sibling, Um, legacy, et cetera, like, let's talk about how we kind of manage that from an enrollment management standpoint. So talk to us about some of those criteria.
1: Sure, absolutely. So, you know, the bottom line of the admission office is to be mission aligned and to find mission appropriate students. So thinking about that, um, thinking about students entering a global complex society, you need to think about creating that in the parish environment so that they're experiencing it on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. And so um, creating that complex society and as much as you can through an applicant pool and through The DFW area, et cetera. Obviously, we have certain limitations, but um, you know, it's important at In grade levels, as you continue to build an entire grade, looking at it in a holistic perspective, as far as as you said, gender, perhaps we need to even out boy uh, and girl numbers, or um, perhaps there are special talents that we see. uh, You know, we can see the potential in serving the entire community, and in in making us a, um, as I continue to say, a robust uh, community, and so it's important to continue to grow and enhance and add uh, special. Special um, features, I suppose, to um, each class, and uh, again, that that can be academic, that could be artistic, that could be athletic, that could be gender, that could be
0: Phil- philanthropic.
1: Philanthropic. Right, there are
0: families of influence uh, who who uh, again can help to move the move the school forward that have to be considered in uh, in, in a in a pool of, of families. Uh, Absolutely. So uh, VIP VIP families are important, not the varsity blues type, right? Sure. Not, right? <laughs> Absolutely <laughs> right? not. Like, Absolutely so folks not. can kind of relate to that from the college standpoint sure. but uh, this is this is a uh, this is a complicated milieu so as you sit with the admissions committee essentially each year's calculus at a particular grade mm-hmm. looks different Absolutely. and more nuanced and more sophisticated so Absolutely. you bring them data mm-hmm. and they bring you their feedback on right. uh, on on the on the individual candidates yep. and then who marries? Who marries, the, who marries the two together? Do you involve that admissions committee with that, or is that something that you and your team and we in the administration sure. work on, or is it a little bit of both?
1: I, I really do think it's a, a bit of both, but I think, obviously, um, in the room with the admission committee, there's the setting of expectation and, and um, being real, realistic and transparent, as we very much are on a consi- consistent basis here at Parrish, but being transpa- transparent with the admission committee um, as far as the needs, where we are um, in certain needs. um, for each grade so that the committee um, is aware of that now as you said there is some tension with that sometimes Um, but as as you said as a enrollment manager um, it's the importance of of, um, there's that responsibility to, to have a diverse in all senses of the word at each grade level.
0: Yeah, and so like in pure in pure uh, example to kind of move away from the theoretical, mm-hmm. like there can be a sibling who's a less, mm-hmm. uh, less uh, uh, fully qualified applicant in terms of the strength of that application mm-hmm. vis-a-vis the other members of a, of a applying cohort mm-hmm. who will get in on a first cut and will get through that gate more quickly than sure. somebody whose other metrics May be stronger. There's sure. somebody with a special talent, be it drama, running really fast on the football field, or what have you, who may find their way up the admissions mm-hmm. line up a a little bit higher than uh, than another candidate who's very very capable. Mm-hmm. Is otherwise it is admissible. Mm-hmm. Um, there will be a family of, uh, of 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 impact and influence in the community who's in that same uh, who's in that same boat, and so I think like there there's no reason. For I think schools to hide the realities of uh, us having to be both business mm-hmm. and and school, right. right? And so that sophistication we try to do honorably and with great thought and care. Um, we try to be transparent with those families that end up in a wait list, like standing outside the gate, fully mm-hmm. fully capable of coming through the gate mm-hmm. <laughs> into mm-hmm. the community. Right. Um, but for right now, we just don't have those seats to offer, and that happens uh, sure. across the institution. Um, but this is sort of the reality of enrollment management, sure. you know, that I, that I think is important to, to put forward to people.
1: Sure. And I think, you know, going back to that, that vision of who we are of capable to exceptional students, you know, we have flexibility in that when it comes to enrollment management as far as the types of students that we enroll, um, as well as I think that every student um, is capable of contributing to this Correct. community in some way way yep. um, and, and bottom line they're um, a, again regardless of a connection to a school um, there is a, again a responsibility to not set a student up for failure so even if they do have a particular connection to the school whether it's a alumni child or a um, uh, a faculty child or a sibling etc they do get preference in the process absolutely because it's important to us as a community um, but again it goes back to we're not going to set up a, a student for up for failure absolutely so. you and
0: I take calls throughout the mm-hmm. uh, latter part of the winter and early spring from mm-hmm. uh, you know uh, affiliates in the community who wanted their friend's child in who's uh, of influence or mm-hmm. wanted their sibling their their second child in who mm-hmm. didn't get in mm-hmm. uh who again even with some of these preferences mm-hmm. uh we just don't feel is is quite ready but right. uh, there is a there is a sophistication to the creation of the student pool and sure. student body here sure. that frankly all independent schools uh pursue as do all colleges mm-hmm. and i think trying to um really demystify that is a big portion of, of uh, bringing you guys on today is so that people understand, uh, you, you know, the, really the rigor and thoroughness and challenge that you all face um, each year. One criteria we don't use in determining who comes through the gate or not is one's ability to pay. Right. So that's right. that's where Julie comes in, right, is that at the end of the day, you know, Caroline and her team are saying, you know, yes, you may enter or, or um, no, you're not quite ready yet or no, you may not. But if it's a yes, you can enter you know simultaneously there's this whole conversation about oh that's great you've offered me this I'm excited about it but your $30,000 tuition I can't fully afford so what's the concurrent process Julie with application to admission for parish that one goes through when they're actually applying for financial aid how does that how does that work
2: Right, and so what you just said is one of the things that I wanted to clarify, and that is that admission is determined without respect to ability to pay. Mm -hmm. So the admission committee never knows who is applying for financial aid, that's all kept strictly confidential. So that's totally separate. Yep. Um, So when a family is applying for admission to parish, they can indicate on their application that they are gonna apply for financial aid, but nobody else sees that except for Caroline and then they go through a process of applying for financial aid, which is totally separate than the admission process. And we use a third-party organization called School and Student Service. About a 1,000 independent schools across the country use them, and they are the um, collector of all the parents' financial information and their taxes. And so parents actually apply through School and Student Service and put all their financial aid information or financial information, and it is a very comprehensive application, upload their taxes. School and Student Service does the work of verifying and through a very comprehensive formula that they have developed over 50 years, they come up with a number that they feel like is a family's estimated ability to pay. Um, that's the starting point. Mm-hmm. So we get a report from School and Student Service That's the starting point that we look at. Um, So we take that quantitative analysis and then we apply a qualitative analysis. So we can make adjustments to school and student services recommendation um, based on the background of that family and what other circumstances are going on in their life that don't show up in the numbers, like divorce or illness or a home foreclosure or any number of things going on in a family's life um, that just aren't reflected in the numbers
0: yeah to my earlier point about you, you know your kind of beautiful Mary of the analytic and and the heart that second part that qualitative part is is very often done in in sit-down discussions and conversations with families like that's that's a, a very personal uh, right and, and relational part of the pro- process that uh, mirrors the data and analytic that you um, get back through the uh, through the third-party process right
2: okay. um <laughs> Having been through it, it is, um, it's an uncomfortable, can be for some families, it, every family feels different, but it can be sometimes uncomfortable and awkward. You are laying your finances bare to you're not sure who, and I want people to understand that, that it is all very confidential. Um, for the most part, I'm the only one that sees everything. Um, th- there are, you know, the financial aid committee, there is a committee that determines the final awards. Um, they see just very top-level data, and that's a very, very small group of people. Um, so it, you're laying yourself kind of bare, and there's an opportunity on the application. I always encourage families where they can talk about those other things, like tell their story, so to speak, of what's going on in their lives, um, and that's an important part. Um, so we look at those things. We also look at um, how a family chooses to spend their discretionary dollars, because that's really what the... Um, the number that school and student service gives us is strictly based on a family's discretionary income. And that is often where there's a big disconnect right. <laughs> between um, what a family thinks they can pay and what school and student service thinks they can pay.
0: Yeah, so, you know, uh, sending, sending your kid for uh, weekly uh, lessons in golf and basketball, some families may see as, uh, as, a, as essential right, right, and sss and and in many cases, we are going to look at that and say, "No, you've made a choice there to do that. Those are dollars that otherwise you could you could be deploying back here second homes, exact multiple cars, you know these are things that some people consider to be uh, part and parcel of their lifestyle, right. But when it comes to the allocation of school dollars, uh, we take a very careful look at those. Uh, relative to where uh, that income or those dollars could have otherwise been directed back to uh, Back, back to, to school tuition yeah.
2: Right, so a couple things there one of our key philosophy Which is in keeping with best practices of financial aid is that it is a family's a family bears the primary responsibility to edu- to, to Finance their child's education um, That's first and foremost, so it's their responsibility when we're looking at, what, and they are exactly that, lifestyle choices. It's not a judgment of you should or shouldn't do that. It, it's that um, we have a set budget, we have a limited budget, and so we have to assign that. That's part of our mission from the board, um, is to help the families who have the greatest true financial need. And so we do look at those lifestyle choices. It's an interesting misconception I think people have about financial aid. They think we're just discounting tuition. We'll go, let's knock 20% off this family. That is not the way it works. The Board of Parish, Board of Trustees, sets a budget for financial aid, and we have to stay within that. So we have a limited amount of money. We have over 200 families that apply each year, mm-hmm. and so it's our fiduciary responsibility to make sure we're really giving those dollars where they are most needed.
0: Yeah, so rough cut numbers, you're talking roughly 850 families or so here at Parrish in in general, 1,155, 1,150 students, give or take. Um, You're going to have on a yearly basis, we've uh, increased aid allocation significantly over the last decade. Mm -hmm. We now sit at about between 2.7, 2.8 million dollars. It's budgeted for financial aid as part of our uh, uh, operating budget each year then that is basically the budget to which you refer, and that will be given out to 12 to 14% of those 850 families. Roughly 150 students are here on some form of financial aid. I think what would surprise people is the income range of those families that are both applying and in, in some instances receiving financial aid. So if you wanted to also dispel some misconceptions that only those that get financial aid or are quote unquote middle class or lower class. How would you help us to see the, uh, the dollar uh, range of families in a, in, a, in a very hypothetical sense that are in the application pool for financial aid and actually do receive financial aid because of the quantitative and qualitative uh, research that, that you have at your disposal?
2: um there's a number of factors that go into that bottom line number that school and student service calculates and the biggest driver is income Mm -hmm. but there's other drivers um one is a family's net worth so whether they have equity in their home whether they have investments whether they have debt um and also the number of people in their family so it's hard to give a range because there's so many factors that go into it um We have some families who are making, you know, have significant income, uh, maybe upwards of two, three hundred thousand dollars, but they have three students here. Mm -hmm. Um, So, and all the way down to families who actually may be making ten thousand dollars a year. So the range is very big, um, and it's it's hard to give a a specific answer because it does so much depend on their circumstances. And we have families too who. you know may have been making um, significant money and either through divorce or um, business failures or illness or death of a parent um, dramatically changes their financial circumstances
0: but one national trend that we're seeing are families with incomes north of a hundred thousand dollars per year in fact even north of a hundred fifty thousand dollars per year uh, the quote-unquote Upper middle class, by most economic demographic, who are increasingly across the country now applying for uh, financial aid as tuitions uh, uh, continue to increase.
2: Yes, um, our average, um, the average income of our um, financial aid recipients this year was about their parents was about one hundred and forty five thousand. Yeah,
0: which I think again is going to be very surprising to to the average to the average listener. It is to some of our board of trustees when they look at 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 this data. Uh, the average award is somewhere between seventeen and eighteen thousand yeah, dollars per, per year mm-hmm. eighteen thousand dollars per year so if you're looking for rough averages and in, in terms of what someone uh, someone someone receives and ev- uh, families have to apply every year so this is this is not something that is uh you know a for life uh, a four-life condition one uh, one has to put forth the same day that you've just described on a annual basis as they as they reapply, even though they don't have to reapply for admission to correct. the school, right? So that that's is a, correct. They do have to apply for financial aid every year.
2: And if a family's <coughs> situ- financial situation doesn't really change significantly, then their award generally stays about the same. Yep. We have families who their financial situation improves, yay, that's great. That does mean there's going to be a corresponding reduction in their award because they now have more ability to pay and unfortunately we also have families who have you know situations come up some of which I've just described and or described earlier, um, so their financial situation actually gets worse, and so in those cases, um, their award would potentially grow, presuming we've got room in the budget.
0: Some other trends of interest, uh, we give more aid in the upper school than the lower school. Uh, Correct. There's a reason, because once you begin to offer aid to a family of a lower school student, you are going to potentially be carrying them for much longer, so it's a more significant financial investment on on the school's part. Um, We give more aid to, to, to uh, white or Caucasian students than we do to students of, of, of color across the uh, across the school uh, piece uh, or across our school constituency
2: actually no not so much um, it's about half and half in terms of about 50, numbers. 50. Mm-hmm. in terms of the numbers of aid recipients it's about a little bit more than fifty percent 55 percent are students of color okay. mm-hmm. 45 to 50 percent um, of Caucasian in terms of dollars the majority... 60 65 67 percent does go to students of color
0: and um, most every student is paying family is paying something to be here yes and Thank that's i think a very important that that other piece a, of it is that you know yes. there, there is really no uh, free uh, tuition through financial aid for any family here even those that were at the uh, um, very lowest income range that you that you mentioned.
2: That is correct. Um, we do not offer any merit scholarships at Parish. We do not offer any athletic scholarships. Um, we do offer three merit scholarships that are need-based. So first and foremost, those students um, would qualify for significant financial aid, and then there is a merit scholarship for that. But there are no just independent merit scholarships. And with the exception of those few scholarships, you're exactly right. Everybody pays something, Mm -hmm. and that is another big misconception. There are no free, full tuitions. Everybody pays something to their ability.
0: Yeah, and so there's more aid given out in the upper school, and I think what happens at times for families, you can talk to the sensitivity that you've already referenced it, like this is a personal thing, it can be difficult to come forward and ask for this financial assistance. But oftentimes, people conflate scholarship and financial aid. So it's much easier for me to go out and say, yeah, my child's on scholarship to do X, Y, or Z at Parish, play football, play volleyball, play basketball. It's much easier to say my child's on scholarship. But uh, scholarship uh, connotes uh, several things. It, It connotes the fact that you've been wooed to the place with that money. It connotes that you may be there even though you're not academically Uh, capable of coming across the boundary Caroline's already addressed the fact that we don't have kids here regardless of their affiliation special talent what-have-you without being capable to perform in our program Um, and so you know regardless of any student here that's on financial aid they have gone through this very same process uh, that you've described, and there's nobody here who circumvents that process through any other means, mechanism, or person uh, to be here on uh, some form of uh, scholarship or uh, dispensation of, of tuition payment on some sort of deal, <laughs> right, for what they're going to provide or offer to the school. We'll right. say that a million times to Sunday, and people will still not believe us, uh, right. but that is that is, the, that is the truth. It is the truth, yeah. yes. Uh, especially now I think that you're here. I mean, it's worth saying that this position, as you referenced, is a couple of years old. We we did it honorably and Marcy McLean was was here as director of mission through Laurel Ash yeah. and, and with Caroline. But we are so much more sophisticated with it now in terms of you interfacing between Caroline's team in enrollment management and Mark Kirkpatrick's team in the the, the business office, uh, that I that I think our process is even uh, more robust and and rigorous and disciplined than it than it was even 24, 36 months ago, thanks to you being here. Yes. There's this other level of, of experience that I think we wanna close with and explore because again, our, our Inclusive Community Task Force talked not just about the fact that you know you get to belong here, but that you are truly included here, right? So what's the difference between being a place like, uh, I'll welcome you to the table, you know, come sit down, But when i put the meal out in front of everybody you know julie gets julie gets the the main entree and the vegetables and the dessert but i'm sitting here you know with just the string beans right i've just got the vegetables and so yeah i was welcome to your dinner table but you've given me you know, just a just a sampling of, of what's offered here. And so financial aid uh, does, does not in and of itself address everything that a family needs to have here to fully experience the richness and robustness of the program. So in addition to the financial aid dollars that you have responsibility for, there is a set of funds that we refer to, um, you know, as the parish experience, you know, uh, because we want those families that are invited in, into our community to have access to the full experience. So, Caroline, as you go through the admissions process with families, they get uh, they get an um, overview of the financial aid process. Mm-hmm. How much do you speak to this notion of the parish experience funds or support for ancillary um, ex- uh, parts of the parish experience, if at all?
1: Um, you know, it's, it's through the application process as Julie referenced, it's, um, Need-blind when it comes to the application process. So um, I will say we're very sensitive, and and um, I, I feel that sometimes parents aren't aware that they can obviously ask me financial aid questions. Um, we distribute that information to all of our admission packet. We make sure that, um, or excuse me, not admission packet, but the um, packet of information, we share all of our financial information there, or, or I guess a synopsis, rather, um, so that our parents are aware of not only are they, if, if needed, the assistance in tuition, but also um, assistance in um, being a part of the the parish community and experiencing parish uh, parish um, to its fullest Um, but i I think it's a very important conversation again as um, you know things change outside of parish and and, um, again with the average income amount where it is for our students receiving or or families receiving uh, financial assistance um, that that is a a trend that we'll need to continue to um, support and and, and share information with so that we can continue to reach all types of families.
0: In fact, Julie's been doing some pretty (laughs) significant um, deep dive analysis into what these ancillary costs are. So Mm -hmm. Julie, for the listener, I mean, take us through what fits into the category of things not covered by tuition that ultimately uh, bear a financial burden on families that we have to be thinking about if we want uh, a new applicant to a particular grade to have the full parish experience.
2: Well, what we're doing is we're trying to go through and um, identify across the entire school um, from every grade, every department, every division, every way we can slice it and dice it are those additional expenses that a family might incur um, over and above tuition. <clears throat> and it's pretty exhaustive. Everything mm-hmm. from you know um, uniforms to textbooks in the upper school to laptops to calculators to um, the t-shirt for fifth grade choir and to you know athletic shoes for basketball so we're trying to go through and catalog all that and determine what kind which of those expenses are required which ones um, you know a family would want to do so their child could feel included and mm-hmm. which ones are totally optional yep. um, parish abroad is a great experience it's a totally optional right uh, situation so
0: but going to Catalina in seventh grade is not
2: Right, it's I mean, it's an it's, inclusive it's, experience, it's an right? Inclusive almost experience everybody goes. Everybody,
0: almost everybody takes. Right, right.
2: so um, we are. We hope to have those answers um, shortly. We're still slicing and dicing the data so that we can have an understanding of what kind of expenses a family incurs over and above tuition, so their child can have the experience.
0: And so you have roughly about a hundred twenty thousand dollar budget now, give or take, where families can basically come to you and say really want my child to be able to have this experience and they are already in your financial aid family right and so you're able to kind of work with them uh, to say is this something that we can support or not to give them that full parish experience so again that's that's a, a complicated personal challenging uh, decision matrix, matrix that you have to work through uh, as you as you've steward these uh, dollars here of the institutions.
2: Right, so our priority with that supplemental support is for students to be successful academically. So the first priority of that budget is to help our highest need students with the essentials. Um, assistance with uniforms, assistance with textbooks in upper school, calculators, laptops, yep. things that they have to have, every student needs to have to be successful. <clears throat> from there we kind of then branch out to the core elements of what we like to think of as the parish experience so in middle school that's the Catalina right. and the DC trip you referred to right and upper school that's homecoming prom and the graduation activities which Yep. those are the kind of things that we've identified as being core to the parish experience um, from there there's a lot of things that could be construed as the parent as the parish experience. And, um, we're still our supplemental support program is still relatively new. Um, we're still trying to figure out how we can help the most families and how we can do that equitably and fairly. Um, so it's an, it's an area that Caroline says we're continuing to look at.
0: Yeah, for sure.
2: But the first and foremost priority is academic success then that next level of social parish experience and then kind of all the extras.
0: Yeah. And so I think in it up, like, I think, I think for, especially in a parish family, it's scratching their head behind all this and saying, you know, look, you know, you, you don't make sure everybody can get into Alexis or a Mercedes, like a luxury project's a luxury product. I'm not really sure why schools spending time in this space. You know, I think that's a fair, I that's a fair point, but I think, they really have to understand the mission of the place that they've chosen to send their their child, right? We are an inclusive Episcopal community, and Caroline referenced this before, preparing students for the Complex Global Society. And at least the Complex Global Society I walk out of every day when I leave the gates of this place is socioeconomically diverse, racially diverse, religiously and ethnically diverse. So, you know, I think our overarching quest as an institution has to be to make sure that the bold leaders that are coming out of this community Right? Have a recognition, respect, and, and understanding of, of what it means to work with people who come from different stations of life. Like I, I think we want this place to be as reflective of the broader community as it can be, fully understanding that as long as our price point remains where it is, and news news to you, it isn't gonna go be going down anytime soon, right? That as long as the tuition continues to be where it is. Uh, schools like ours in order to accomplish that moral imperative of being as diverse as as possible are going to have to invest in thoughtful processes around financial aid supplemental support and making sure that the people who come here feel that once they're invited across the the moat and through our gate and into this community that they're that they're not there to have a a a, a portion of the experience but as full and robust a part of the experience as possible there is um, plenty of room for honest disagreement on on that in general, I suspect, but that's philosophically where we're committed in the Board of Trustees at present, as we look forward to, for example, future campaigns is really thinking about do we, do we even have to uh, do campaigns to raise endowed dollars that uh, allow us to have the access to the types of funds that um, uh, will enable us to grow our financial aid budget and continue to, to make this as inclusive and representative a place as possible. These are sort of the key and compelling strategic questions that are, that are in front of us. So uh, I say that as much as a coda on I, what I hope has been a deep, deep dive into the sophistication and challenge of enrollment management and financial aid for those who just think, yeah, you put in an application, and hopefully, come March, you hear that you got in, right? Like there's a lot more uh, to the to the process uh, to, than that. Closing thoughts, Caroline. Anything uh, on uh, either the enrollment measurement side or financial aid side that you feel uh, we should we should close out and share with the listeners before we before we depart?
1: Well, I think bottom line, um, you know, my my joy in, in showing up to, to work every day is um, making this a fair and equitable process, both on the admission side and the financial aid process um, for all students, all families um, who who come t- onto this campus and, and visit us. And it's it's my joy to walk you all through each process and um, work with you until decision time and after that as well.
0: After, yeah, through that onboarding. And, and you guys, your team does a great job of staying Thank really you. in connection with kids and families, even once they're, you know, once they're on campus. Absolutely. Julie, any closing thoughts from you on the on the challenges of the uh, and the joys of the work that you face?
2: Um, well, I think it, you know, going back to what you were saying, you know, part of our mission as an Episcopal school and our mission of inclusivity, you know, if we believe that, you know, God has made each of us in his own eyes, then we all have gifts to share. Mm-hmm. And a child's socioeconomic status is not they you know, they didn't end up there through their own volition. And so to be able to, there's amazing children everywhere. Mm -hmm. And so to be able to give those children an opportunity that they wouldn't otherwise have so that they can then impact the world. I mean, that's what we're talking about, creating young people of impact. Uh And I can't divulge any confidences, but the, you know, our alumni who are out there who received some tuition assistance along the way are just (laughs) doing truly amazing things, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. doctors, um, finance people, philanthropists, humanitarians. I mean, they're, they are, you know, they're not just changing the world for other people, they're also changing the course of their families. And so we're not just lifting them up, we're lifting others up. And, and so I think that's, you know, I, like you said, if people buy into our mission, our, they're hopefully here, families are here because they buy into our broader mission um, of who we are as
0: a school. Yeah, it's ennobling work that you all are both doing and busy work at this time of year. So good luck uh, continuing the, the showroom portion of our experience. We're very soon to be pivoting to, uh, to the deliberation phase once you all get back from, uh, from, from the Christmas and, and Hanukkah break. So thank you all for your work. And thank thanks you. for joining thank me you. today. My a great pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this edition of the From My Angle podcast. Please share it with friends and colleagues in your network. In our next episode, we continue our exploration of how values define a place and bind a community. I do hope to have two more podcast episodes for you before we depart for the holidays in December. Be on the lookout as we welcome parish alums now employed at parish onto the podcast to discuss finding belonging back at parish once students now as employees. I also hope to have co-host Amari Hayes and his upper school schoolmates back to continue our discussion of finding one's social fit in today's world of teens, picking up our conversation from October, looking a little bit more focused this time around on what it feels like when you don't fit at parish and in the complicated world of teens today. Until the next time, thanks for joining me on the From My Angle podcast.